Hey everybody, welcome to the New Market Alliance Church podcast, where you're invited to not just attend church or watch church, or in this case, listen to church, but actually go and be the church. For everything you need to know about our community, be sure to go to newmarketalliance.ca and maybe even drop us a line to let us know you're listening. We read everything you send and we'll be sure to get back to you. Our worship service happens every Sunday at 10 a.m. in person or streaming online. We want you to know you absolutely matter to God and you absolutely matter to us. Everyone is welcome and wanted. Now, let's join today's teaching. We've been in this series of five biblical keys to try to put the last year and a half behind us. And by that, I mean everything that the pandemic has done to us, to our relationships, to our emotions, to our spiritual and physical lives, because the last 18 months has been more about, more than just about the virus. It's been about who we have become or are becoming in this, in this crazy season, which means we're actually going to need more than a vaccine to come back from this. You know, a vaccine doesn't address our character, our spirit. Uh, we started off with a look at the importance of ending social distancing, and, and that had nothing to do with six feet. It had everything to do with that biblical key of, of bringing grace uh, to the relationships that have taken such a hit and continue to, uh, as we have these seemingly endless things that we are polarized about. And then last week, we looked at the importance of taking off our mask. And again, that had nothing to do with a, you know, a, a piece of cloth or, or linen, but everything to do with about hiding behind a, a facade and, and inauthenticity um, so that we can't really be known by others, known and loved by others. And, and that takes some vulnerability. And uh, I think the Bible challenges us to take that mask off and look soberly at the person that we are or have become, the things that we've been dealing with, like depression, addiction, uh, secret crisis, secret sins. And so today we come to this third biblical key to putting the last 18 months behind us. Stop hoarding. And again, I'm not really talking about toilet paper or lumber or yeast or chlorine or flour or bikes or disinfectant wipes, any number of things that were shortages during this time or continue to be shortages in these days. I'm talking about stopping that attitude of putting ourselves above anyone and everyone else no matter what. So many of us gave into that attitude. Over the last 18 months, many people have, have turned inward. I think they've become selfish, self-absorbed. They've adopted a, a me-first attitude. I've got my own temptation of moving in that direction sometimes. And, and for some, there's, there's been little sense of serving others or having compassion for others, and many have given into that look out for number one mentality. What started with hoarding toilet paper at Costco became this full-blown me-against-the-world mindset. Uh, you could say there, there's different pandemics going on right now. There's a mental health pandemic. I think there's an anger 
pandemic, a tribalism pandemic, and maybe, maybe a pandemic of selfishness. I do remember when all this started in, uh, in March and for a couple days, wondering you know, if maybe the church would spot me a couple rolls of industrial-sized toilet paper uh, because there was none to be found for a, a hot minute. Uh, some of you know what it's like to have lived through a gas shor- shortage with your car lined up for blocks, hoping that they wouldn't run out before you got there. Some of you may have come from other countries, and you say, Jonathan, you don't know. <laughs> you don't know about shortages and supply chain issues. Uh, the problem is we've seen how, how self-interest that attitude can become a permanent posture uh, if we're not careful. And I would say it is probably an ugly side of human nature, in fact, our, our unregenerated fleshly uh, instinct. Many are losing any sense of what it means to be sacrificial or servant-hearted outward focused instead of inward focused. And that's not good, friends. It's, it's toxic. And it's something Jesus worked very hard to eradicate from our thinking and from our actions. In fact, let me, let me take you back to a scene between Jesus and his early followers, specifically the 12 men who were his primary students, or you may have heard the term disciples, They were the ones he was mentoring and pouring his life into. And Jesus handpicked each one of them to to be by his side, to be mentored and developed and all in the purpose of unleashing this global revolution called the kingdom of God, uh, the unleashing of his church. And you can only imagine what a rush that must have been for these guys. So here was Jesus speaking before thousands, working miracles, raising the dead, uh, calling great numbers to his side. And these 12 men were in his inner circle. So guess what they started to do? Maybe we're all tempted to do it. They started to jockey for position. One day as they walked along the road, they started kind of whispering among themselves about who was the greatest among them? You know, who was the biggest, the best, the most well-known, who's going to go the farthest, who did Jesus like the best, who would be the most successful. How did that play out with Jesus? Well, it's recorded in Mark's biography in the Bible. And so let me read it and you can follow along. This is from a translation called The Message, which, I, which sometimes I just like the modern wording. It says, they came to Capernaum. When he was safe at home, he asked them, uh, what were you discussing on the road? The silence was deafening. They had been arguing with one another over who among them was the greatest. He sat down and summoned the 12. So, you want first place? Then take the last place. Be the servant of all. They didn't get it. Uh, One chapter later, when the same issue reared its head again, Jesus put it to them very plainly. Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. And then um, using one of his favorite descriptors of himself, calling himself the son of man, it's a name that reflected both his divinity as God and his humanity. Jesus said, for even I, 
the Son of Man came here not to be served, but to serve others and to give my life as a ransom for many. They still didn't get it. Uh, Time and time again, Jesus tried to inject a, a selfless, serving attitude. And time and time again, they didn't get it or they didn't want to get it, even, even to the bitter end. And I do mean the bitter end. Like on the night before he was crucified, they were still figuring this mess out. And it was such a concern to Jesus that they, that they get this selfless attitude and lifestyle and spirit down that, that no matter what was on the agenda for their last night together, um, he made sure he addressed this one more time. It was his, you could say it was his final parting life lesson. I, I've, I've read this verse a lot at NAC, but let me read it again. John 13, he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and he wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin, and he began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Now, let me, let me stop there. Even if you don't really have a church background or, or don't consider yourself a Christian, there's a decent chance that you've heard of this story of Jesus uh, washing feet. And some of you with a little more background might add, oh, yeah, that was at the Last Supper. I know about that. Can I just remind you a little bit of the context? Because back in Jesus' day, they didn't have sidewalks. They didn't have paved roads. Uh, if there were roads, they were dirt. Uh, the people didn't wear shoes like we do. Um, they went barefoot and occasionally would wore, you know, a version of what we would call sandals. Now, not only that, but any roads that there were um, had various forms of transportation that would use it. Primarily, we're talking donkeys, camels, maybe horses. And the, and the roads were also used to move whole groups of livestock, you know, sheep. And uh, so can you smell what I'm cooking here? Um, my wife, Vicky, just got a part-time job at, at a farm. She thought she would maybe do that instead of uh, getting a gym membership. And uh, she's so far, she's just loving it. But she's like mucking stalls and, you know, uh, shoveling manure and, and, and all that. Um, she's an outdoor kid. I'm more of an indoor kid. I'm a mall kid. And, uh, you know, she, she came home and I was about to take our, our car out. And she said, oh, I left, my, um, I left my work shoes in there, FYI. And I get in the car and my eyes start to water. It smelled like a hot diaper full of... Anyways, so, so I'm just trying to paint a picture here. Back in Jesus' days, you would have had dirt, manure, urine, whatever else, you know, when you walked on your feet. And then if it rained, dude, it was like... Woodstock 99 in there, it was nasty, it was a filthy mess. So here's what people would do. Whenever you would go to an inn or a friend's house or for a meal or a party, there would usually be someone at the door, uh, mostly a paid servant, who had a basin of water, 
and a towel, and they would wash and then dry your feet. But because people's feet would be so nasty, it was considered one of the lowliest jobs that you could possibly have. It was, um, it was a group like the disciples crowd that probably couldn't afford uh, a servant. So it would usually fall to the first person who arrived until they kind of recruited somebody who was, you know, ranked lower than them on the totem pole, however they ranked that. By the way, we have our own sort of measurement system in 2021, don't we, of how we rank people's importance. So here Jesus was with his disciples, gathered for what was known as the Passover feast, but there was no one at the door washing feet. The disciples had all arrived before Jesus and not one of them had volunteered for that position. And I wonder if even among the disciples there was a bit of like passive-aggressive kind of waiting each other out, see who blinks first. Because apparently none of them wanted to assume that they were lower on the serving totem pole than anyone else. So Jesus walks into the room and they're there at the table reclining because that's how you would do it. Um, you know, it wouldn't be a, a table like we're used to. It would be on floor level and they'd be sort of uh, almost lying down. You know, Da Vinci painted a nice picture and all, but that's not really what it looked like. No chairs, right? You'd be kind of reclining on your side, which means your feet were even more prominent to other people. Had to be careful not to stick them in the potato salad. You know what I'm saying? So there they all sat around this table with, with proud hearts and dirty feet. Sounds like a good country and western song. Uh, they, were, they were willing to sit there as, as a group with all that filth on their feet rather than humble themselves to serve another, each other. They felt it was beneath them, I think. And even as their leader, their teacher, their supposed savior walks in, no one blinks to offer to wash his feet either. It's almost comical to think about if it weren't so sad and so you know, personally convicting. Well, he takes one look and you can maybe imagine what he's thinking. I'm going to the cross tomorrow and they still don't get it. So he models selflessness and he rolls up his sleeves, as it were, takes off his outer garment, puts a towel around his waist, and he leads them by washing their feet. And let me read what happens here from scripture. After he had finished washing their feet, he took his robe, put it back on, and went back to his place at the table. And then he said, do you understand what I have done to you? You address me as teacher and master, and rightly so. That is what I am. So if I, the master and teacher, wash your feet, you must now wash each other's feet. I've laid down a pattern for you. What I've done, you do. Um, you're not called to selfishness, but to selflessness. You're not called to have your feet washed, but to wash the feet of others. When, when you are living like Jesus, it's such a counter 
cultural thing. You're walking through life with a towel draped over your arm with water and a basin at your side. You're not thinking about being served, but rather, who can I serve? You're not thinking about what people should do for you. You're thinking about how you can add value to their life. And the payoff, I got to tell you, is just enormous. When we look at this topic of serving others, of, of, of selfless living, of sacrificial living, you know, even that term sacrificial makes you think of, of deprivation, right? Uh, we, we think of all the things that we're going to be losing, and we don't like it because giving means loss, it seems. Where are we getting that from? Most people have no idea what the payoff is. Most people have no idea what life on the other side of servanthood uh, is like. So, so let me just give you a quick glimpse. First, a life of servanthood is what keeps you in spiritual shape, okay? I, I don't think you'd be here investing even an hour of your life if you didn't have some interest in developing your spiritual life. And I and many others have discovered that when you serve, when you give yourself away for the sake of others, oh man, that's what builds your faith. It's through serving that you give your faith the workout it needs to, to grow stronger. I can tell you this very confidently. If you're not giving of yourself, serving others in some selfless, sacrificial, servant-hearted way, if that's not part of your life, I, I can almost guarantee that your spiritual life is stalled, is shallow, it's more underdeveloped than it ought to be. Hitting the spiritual gym, so to speak, has to involve some foot washing. Second reason for unselfish living is, is because making a difference really does matter. And, and you can't make a difference in this world, much less in other people's lives, without serving people at the point of, of their need, giving to people at the point of their need. Folks, that's the game. That's the field on which followers of Christ play. Anybody been following the Blue Jays in this, in this wild card run that they're on? Uh, just, just Amanda and me? Good. We'll go to Kelsey's and uh, watch on the big screen. As a, as a kid in Hamilton, I was all about baseball and the Jays in particular. And it's like even now those names, I mean... Barfield, Mosby, Bell, uh, Steeb, Dave Steeb, and Ernie Witt, and Kelly Gruber, and my favorite, Tony Fernandez. And, and, but now I've been watching this great run that the Jays are on, and Vicki will half-watch with me sometimes, and she's not a baseball fan. Every, every time she sat down, though, in the last week and a half, the Jays have hit a grand slam. I'm not kidding. And she's like, oh, one of those again? And I'm trying to, <laughs> trying to explain to her that that's like... You, could be, you might be lucky to see one of those in, in a whole season. And uh, she's seen three of them in three days, and she's not that impressed. Uh, anyways, on a 26-man roster, not everyone gets to play every day. And so I'm always kind of, there's a part of me that's rooting for this guy called the pinch hitter, the pinch runner. They may get 
a late call in the game to try and make a little difference. And I can just picture them on the bench, you know, just waiting to contribute, just wanting to be part of the, part of the game. And they're, it's like they're saying, put me in, coach. I'm ready to play. Remember that song? Listen, serving others is what gets you into the game. Uh, maybe the only game that matters. It's, it's the way you become a player and get involved in what God is doing in the world and in our community. I've never met a person, it doesn't matter uh, where they're at spiritually, who, who when they think about the best version of themselves, their mind doesn't go to just making more money, just closing another business deal, buying a dream house or taking a vacation, you know? All of us at our best want our one and only life to count for something, to, to do something with our life that will matter. There's only one way, folks, for that to happen. It's to make an investment of your life in selfless service. And once you do, make no mistake, you will taste and see that making a difference is what it's all about. And you have to, all you have to do is maybe like even once hear a thank you. Uh, see one brief glimpse of impact from something that you've contributed to. Man, you'll never want to go back to hoarding your time, hoarding your resources, because you'll see things from a different vantage point, from a little higher vantage point, uh, an eternal perspective even. And you'll say, you know, a lot of the stuff that I've done with my life probably won't add up to much, but this, this will this will live on. This mattered. This, this will make a difference. Third reason that you won't regret living generously or sacrificially is because it's really the only way you'll find and fulfill your individual life purpose. I've heard many people say, man, I wish I knew what God's purpose for my life was. If only I knew what his will was. And guess what? You do. You do know. This is how the Bible puts it. God has made us what we are. He has created us in Christ Jesus to live lives filled with good works that he has prepared for us to do. Here's your life purpose. You were created to take who God made you to be and then put yourself into the game as a selfless, sacrificial servant-hearted player. And maybe you're saying, okay, but yeah, but where? You'll figure that out. You'll figure it out. God will take care of that part. You just have a yes posture, just a put-me-in coach posture, okay? And the more you put yourself into play, the more involved you become with what God is doing in the world and with this church, and with Southlake, and specifically, what he wants to do with you, uh, the more fulfillment that you will find in your God-wired purpose. God can't steer a parked car, right? So how do you get your car out of park and the driving wheel into God's hands? 
You do it by dying to yourself, investing in selfless service to others, picking up a basin and a towel and washing some feet. Selfishness keeps you on the sidelines. It doesn't even get you on the playing field. It keeps your car in park. It prevents you from fulfilling your purpose, which leads to the fourth thing serving does for your life. The degree to which you serve often amplifies the the degree to which you are served by others. That's just the way it, it works out. When you wash other people's feet, it tends to result in a lot more clean feet in the world, but also a greater chance that when you're in need for your feet to be washed, there'll be somebody ready to do it. It's counterintuitive, I know, but when you serve others, you end up being served as well. The more you give, the more you receive. We've, we've got to get this idea out of our heads that when I give, I... I I just experience loss. You know, when I give, it takes away from my supply. Y'all hear of the Enneagram? You know what I'm talking about? Okay. Is it the, are hands not working or do people not follow the Blue Jays in the Enneagram? Okay. Um, Despite what you may have heard, it's not like the Christian horoscope, okay? It's helpful self-awareness tool. And you discover insights, uh, maybe some fears and shortcomings about yourself. In my Enneagram type, there's a lie, a fear that we all wrestle with in my sort of personality type. It's the lie of scarcity. This idea that there is a finite amount of energy, of resources, of love, of goodwill. And so you better be careful not to give too much love too much, serve too much, because, you know, you may end up in the red and never recoup this scarce amount of good things. Where am I getting that from? Where are people getting that from? Because, you know, it's certainly not from the Bible. Uh, It's certainly not how life actually works out. Here's the truth. As much as you give, you cannot never, ever outgive God. Uh, whatever God asks you to give, you'll never outgive what he will pour back into you. So how? How do, how do you get into the game? Even today, I don't want to leave, I don't want you to leave here with any ambiguity about it. I want to make this super practical. So let me just give you three quick ways that you can get in the game. Put me in, coach. Ways to even put the last year and a half of self-centeredness and start living the life that Jesus wants you to live. First, you know, you can give. Generosity is one of the most unselfish, sacrificial acts that there is. Giving is really a, a spiritual exercise. The act of not keeping everything yourself, the act of giving away, you're, you're serving when you do that, when you make that gift. You know, when you give to what God is doing through NAC, for instance, you're actually giving to orphans. You're actually giving to widows. You are giving to the working poor. Um, 
You are giving to those who are hungry. You are also giving to this great movement happening around the world and in our generation of God calling people back to himself. In other words, when you give, you are telling others about Jesus. Even if all you can give is $5, that's $5 of serving others. Second, you can serve. Uh, You can serve in one of the ministries even around here at Newmarket Alliance, and we need you. Uh, Many of those serving opportunities are actually integrated into attending a weekend service. We have so many people who have sort of built that into their routine and into their life, whether it's once a month, uh, some like doing it a lot more, whether it's serving in King's Kids or Tiny Treasures or First Impressions Team or Hospitality or worship, or our production team. And then the opportunities with students, like Forge Ministry, desperate for some adults who will just love them. Um, We need adults who will love on high school students in rock, people who will facilitate or or host small groups. And you don't need to be a a seminary grad. You just need to like people. Uh, And then there are all the opportunities to serve with our, our partners, our community partners, like Serve Our City and our Spanish church, Nase, and TLC and the Food Bank. And if you're not certain of, of how God has uniquely wired you, I'm going to offer a six-week um, small group experience starting in the first Tuesday of October called Network. And it's going to help you discern in community how God has spiritually gifted you. Everybody has a spiritual gift. And uh, some are upfront people, some are more behind the scenes people, but each one of you has a spiritual gift from God and we're gonna help figure that out for each other. And you can register for that on our website or on the app or the link where you register for our Sunday services. So. You can give of your hard-earned resources. You can give of your time to practically, relationally, selflessly invest in ministering to others. And let me just close with one last thing before before, um, the worship team comes up. A way that you can get in the game, and this is gonna sound really self-serving. I realize this, but I don't care because it's true. You can serve someone at their point of need maybe their greatest spiritual need, whether they're even aware of it or not, by inviting them to come and see, to come and explore, to come and experience all that God has for them. Right here at NAC. You know, back when NAC first started, some of you will remember this. They did innovative things. They were innovative at the time, at least. Door hangers and advertising and polling And lately we've seen people checking us out in a modern way through online, our live streams, our podcasts, and we're thankful that we're being able to reach people in a way that we wouldn't have been able to reach people 20 years ago. But you know what has always been, what will always be the most effective way to introduce people to the saving relationship of Jesus? to the transforming power of a gospel community, the most most effective witness will always be you. 
you, building relationships with people, loving them authentically, looking for organic opportunities to um, have a spiritual conversation, then maybe an opportunity to invite. There's no advertising strategy that can ever beat the power of a personal invite. Friends, all of us can do that. Uh, And it's something that you'll never regret. If you have ever had the experience of inviting a friend, having them attend, see them get hooked, seeing the gospel of Jesus Christ start to sink in, see them start joining Christian community, Uh, maybe on some weekend you see them take that step of faith and make Jesus their Lord, get baptized. I mean, is there any better rush than that? Any better feeling? Suddenly their spouse is saying, I don't know who you are, but I, I love who you've become. And their marriage has changed. And their children are looking at him and saying, I don't know what, what daddy's got, but I want it. And the family is transformed. Tell me a better rush than that. I don't know if there is. And it's just an invitation. So this week, if you've never given before, I'm challenging you to give. If you've never served before, I'm challenging you to serve. If you've never invited a friend or a neighbor or a coworker to NAC, invite them. Introduce them maybe to our live stream or invite them in person. Serve them by inviting them. All this to say, part of our comeback, part of your comeback is putting the last year and a half behind us and the destructive things it's done in our culture is to, is to pick up a towel and a basin and wash some feet. Get in the game. Say yes. I'm available to you, Lord wherever and however I can serve. Would you say I'm available today? God will honor that prayer. Let's stand together. I'm super aware of the bad reputation sometimes, well-earned often, that churches have of of asking for money, um, wanting something from you. And, uh, and so I'm, I'm cautious. I, I, it's been kind of nice for a year and a half not to pass the plate because I always think, oh, there's a visitor here going, that's that just what I thought. Church wants our money. I don't know if you believe me when I say I I. I don't want something from you. I really want something for you. And we have learned in our experience that sacrificially giving, sacrificially serving, putting others first, being available, even saying yes, God, before you know what the question is. Just yes. And I'm ready for the question, Lord, but I'll say yes. That just makes all the difference. And I want that for you. I want you to experience that kind of freedom as well. You're such a love people. More than 
coming to church, more than watching church on the live stream, and I'm grateful that you do that. It sure makes a difference when we start to slowly fill up the room with praises and people. But more than coming to church, I, will you go and be the church? That makes the best witness of all. You're a love people. God bless you.